0: How about we we pray before we get into this? Lord, um, your word is powerful, and your word is mighty, and your word is life changing and transformative. And so, God, we're asking: Would you speak to us this evening um, through this um, through the words that you have given? Would you? give us insight and wisdom how to apply it to our lives um, yeah and would you help us to see things afresh and hear things in a fresh way Lord um, that we would love you more that we would desire to follow you more amen well we we love a good rescue story don't we we love we love rescue um, I was once rescued. Um, from a bin in the main street. Um, I, I was just trying to do the right thing, like um, trying to put a pizza box into this bin. Um, but the the bin just had a little hole at the top and you've seen a pizza box, you know, the size and it just wouldn't fit in and I was too feeble to like kind of crush it down and so I, I didn't want to leave it there and, in case it blew off and then all of a sudden I become a litterer. Um, don't want to be one of those people um, and so I, I I, got up on top of the bin and I just started s- like stomping the, the pizza box through into the hole um, but all of a sudden like it gave way like the pizza box went through but so did my foot and then I was trapped on Baylor Street on a Thursday night with um, people lapping in their cars with terrible music. Um, but there were people around and, and I was just helpless. Um, and there was nothing I could do except for cry out um, to my friends, you know, help me. And they, they rescued me. They pulled me out. They fished my shoe out as well. Um, but we but we love we love rescue um, because it's it's this tension, this this question of like how am I gonna get out of this one? Or like how how like, am I going to be okay? Or will things be okay? How will this get fixed? We Rescue is something that's really dear to our hearts. Maybe your cat or dog you call a, a rescue pet. Maybe your favorite TV show is something like Bondi Rescue or some medical show where um, you know people are, are saved out of these terrible situations. Or probably we each have some kind of story where we felt... Helpless, and we didn't know what to do, and there was nothing we could do. We didn't know how things were going to pan out, but then something changed, or someone came through for us, and we experienced this rescue. We we love rescue, and so um, this evening we're looking at the story, the very very well known story of David and Goliath. But the the story is is much more than just one of a young lad who goes and fights a giant. Um, it it deals with this like how is God going to rescue his people like will things be okay and so that's what we get to look at Um, so we're pretty much going to check out nearly the whole chapter of of, um, chapter 17 there if um, you want to kind of follow along but um, so the scene is this there are two great big hills and on one hill is the Israelite army led by King Saul, and there's a valley in between. So a hill here, and a valley, and then another hill. And on this hill are the Philistine army, and the Philistines are like the fierce enemies of Israel, and the Philistines have this weapon of a man. You know his name. He's Goliath. He's gigantic. He's about 3.2 meters tall. He's got this heavy armor, great big sword and a spear. He's, he's decked out in all the weaponry like the Israelites have never seen before. And they are terrified of him. They're filled with fear at the sight of him. And Goliath, twice a day, steps out into the valley, stands before the army of Israel, and he says, let's do battle. And the Israelites are terrified. But he doesn't just say, let's do battle. He says, let's do representative battle. Let's do representative combat. And the Israelites are like, what's representative combat? They haven't really heard of it before. And he says, I'll explain the terms and conditions of representative combat to you. He says, I am the champion of my people. I want you to go and select a champion of your people and we will fight to the death in front of everybody. And this will be a winner-takes-all situation in which if your guy beats me, all of the Philistines, we will become your servants. But if I beat your guy, if I kill him, you've got to become our servants. And not only that, the other aspect of this representative combat or this representative battle is that it's sort of like a, almost like a test of like whose God is greater, whose God is going to come through on the day, the God of the Philistines or the God of Israel. And the Israelites, they look at this giant of a man, how fierce he is, all his armor and everything, and they just run away at the sight of him. So Goliath does that twice a day, morning and night, um, every day. Then the scene changes to... David and David is not part of the army. David's at home looking after the sheep with his dad and that's um, good for us to notice not just because it's important to look after sheep but because it tells us something about David. It tells us that he was too young to be a fighter for, for Israel. To be in Israel's army you had to be 20 years old and so that tells us that David is a teenager at this point He's a a, a teenage boy and because he's with his dad, I presume, Jesse, his dad is too old to be in the army. So, too old, too young, looking after the sheep at home. But they've got another important job um, in that David gets sent to and from his, his household out to the battlefield to supply his brothers with food and stuff. And so, one day, Jesse, David's dad, says to David, okay, I want you to take this bread and this grain and take them to your brothers who are on the battlefield and take these 10 cheeses and give them to their commanding officer. And so David says, okay, he doesn't leave right away, but he waits until morning. He doesn't leave the sheep until daylight. And then he heads off to the battlefield carrying the 10 cheeses, loaves and grain. And so this battlefield is like from here to Barambola away. So it's like a fair distance. But he, he, he does it with the cheese and the, and, the, and the bread and the grain. And he gets there just in time to hear Goliath lay down his challenge that he's been doing twice a day. At this point, Goliath has been doing this, like laying out the, the T's and C's of the battle for a month and a half. And so I imagine that by now Goliath is like, okay, who's going to fight me? You select someone, and you know, blah blah blah. And then we become the servants, and yada yada yada. And and David sees Goliath for the first time and sees how fearsome he is. He he looks at his fellow countrymen and sees how afraid he is. And it, and it looks like David is just incensed at 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 the gall of this of this. Philistine, who would dare to defy the army of Israel, the people of God. And so David starts hearing some things around the camp about what will happen or what will be rewarded to the person who would dare take up the challenge to fight this Goliath and who would win. He starts hearing these things and he hears that there are three prizes if you defeat a Goliath. Did you know that there are three prizes if you kill a Goliath? And these are what the three prizes are. Prize number one King Saul will make you rich. Prize number two King Saul will give one of his daughters to you. um, And so you marry into the royal family. And prize number three is that your family will never have to pay taxes. Pretty good prizes. And now, for a, a reason that I don't really understand, um, David just keeps bringing up this topic of what will happen to the person who beats Goliath. And it's like he's tapping people on the shoulder. like, What will happen if you, if you beat Goliath? And they say, oh, well, you get these three prizes. And, and then find somebody else. And what will happen? And anyway, David's oldest brother, Eliab just finds this so annoying like he's angry about it um maybe Eliab is angry um not just because he's the older older sibling and older siblings um I'm one can can be cranky sometimes um but but maybe he's like kind of embarrassed because like His youngest brother is seeing like how fearful the army are or maybe Eliab is still cranky from last week when we, if you remember, we saw that the older brothers were passed over for the secret anointing of who's going to be king that went to David instead. But in any case, Eliab, David's oldest brother, just goes off at David and he says, I know what's in your heart. You've just come down here for a sticky beak. You want to see some blood and gore. You want to see the battle. I know exactly what you're like. Why don't you just go away? Why don't you shut up? Why are you talking about these things? And then then David, the youngest brother, he says, can't I say anything? I'm just having a conversation. Can't I even talk? And then um, he just goes right back to the same topic of conversation. So, what's going to happen if you, beat, if you beat this Goliath? Well, there are three prizes. So, with all of this chatter going on in the camp about, um, about what will happen if someone would dare take on Goliath and win, um, Saul gets wind of this. The king gets wind of it. And so, he asks for the person to be brought before him and he sees that it's that it's David and I wonder if he was like filled with hope like oh there's a mighty warrior in Israel who's willing to take on Goliath and he sees that it's David a teenage boy and King Saul looks at him and says no it's not it's not happening do you do you understand what is riding on this if if you lose we all become the servants of our enemies it's not going to happen. David, have you seen how big and tall and scary Goliath is? Have you seen his armor? Have you seen his sword? Have you had a look at this guy? You have no experience. This Goliath, he's been he's been fighting people since he was in daycare. He is an experienced warrior. He's got a lot of battles under his belt. He's hardened. No, it's not happening. And usually what happens if somebody, like, usually what happens if a king says yes or no to something, the response is, you say, okay, oh king. If they say yes or no to something, you say, okay, you're the king. But David, incredibly, this teenager, he pushes back against the king, and he says this, he says, when I'm at home, looking after the sheep, bears and lions come and try to take, take the sheep. They try, to, they try to take the sheep and I fight for my sheep. I fight bears and lions and I win every time. I kill them dead. Listen, the God who rescues me from the paw of the bear and from the paw of the lion, he will also rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Wow, like you hear the the confidence that that he's got, and incredibly, King Saul says, "Well, okay, God be with you." Doesn't that seem like a gamble? <laughs> but he says, "Okay, God be with you," and Saul takes David and dresses him in his own armor and gives him a sword and stuff and 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 David says no this is too heavy it's i'm not used to it i haven't tested this out and so he takes it all off and he's just dressed in his normal clothes and he grabs this he grabs his staff and he goes to the stream and he pulls out five stones for his sling he pulls out five stones if you've um like me and grown up around children's bibles that are illustrated maybe you like me have just always imagined the stones for the sling being you know like he's picked up some stones you know what a stone looks like but through um through archaeological discoveries in the near east sling stones have been found and that they're the size of tennis balls like that big like if one hits you like it's gonna mess you up really really badly and so he he finds he chooses five of these and he sticks them in his pouch and he heads off to, to battle. Now, for how how impressive Goliath is, for how mighty and strong he is, um, it seems like this Goliath has a bit of a fragile ego because he feels dishonored at the sight of David. Like, if what does this say about me, that Israel's greatest warrior that they're going to send out to challenge me is this teenager who doesn't even have a sword or any armor. And so, Goliath just starts to make fun of David. He starts mocking him and says, nice stick you got there, because he's carrying his staff. Nice stick you got there, buddy. Um, That would be really handy if you're here to just whack a dog or play fetch or something, but it's got nothing on me. Why don't you come here, young lad, and I will feed your body to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the earth. That's what Goliath says to David. Now, if you remember that for a month and a half, the Israelite warriors who are in the army, they've, they've run away at the sight of Goliath, the sound of his voice, the challenge that he's given, but not David. David instead yells back to Goliath, You come at me with your sword and your spear and all your armor and all of that stuff. But I come in the name of the Lord. Today, Goliath, God is going to rescue me out of your hand. Today, Goliath, you are going to die. I'm going to knock you down. I'm going to cut off your head. I'm going to feed the bodies of your army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, so that everyone who hears this, everyone who looks on, they will know that there is a God in Israel. The battle belongs to the Lord. Wow, that's what he says to Goliath. And with that, David runs at Goliath. Now, Goliath has made a whole number of mistakes already. He's defied the army of of Israel. He's been blaspheming the name of the Lord, but another mistake that he's made is that he's only noticed the staff in David's hand. He doesn't know what's in his pouch. And so, as David is running towards Goliath, David reaches into his pouch, feels around, and pulls out a stone. There's still some distance between them, he loads it into his sling and like an Olympian hammer thrower swings it around and with this like deadly precision, with this accuracy, lets it fly. And this tennis ball-sized stone flies through the air, clocks um, Goliath square in the forehead and just drops him right there. Now, if that didn't kill him instantly, what comes next is, is, is done for now because David runs up to him removes Goliath's sword and cuts off his head with his own sword. Can you, can you imagine like just the silence that was coming from both of these hills as they watched what just happened in the valley in between? Just stunned silence. And what they've just seen does two things. For the Philistines, they absolutely freak out. They, they turn and they run away, not just because they've seen a crazy teenager with some rocks and a stick, but because they know that there is a living God in Israel who would go to such extraordinary, impossible lengths to rescue his people. And so they turn and run. And that's the first thing. And the second thing that David's victory over Goliath does is it inspires the Israelites to share in David's victory, and they just chase off the um, chase off the Philistines into the into the sunset, and so that's where we we'll, that's where we'll finish um, this story today. That's how, on that day, God rescued His people using the battle of David and Goliath. So, if we have the same God. As the God over Israel, if we've got the same God as David's God, what does what's in this story for us? What does that mean for for us? Well, we see a couple of things. Firstly, we see that that you and I we can take courage because we've got this God who rescues, and courage isn't being a confident idiot like Goliath who just trusts in his own armour, in his own weaponry, in his own stuff. And and courage isn't being cowardly like the Israelites who, who they've, they've forgotten that they've got this God on their side and they run away and and, and courage isn't being cowardly like Saul who, who doesn't lead his people into battle. You, do you remember how a few weeks ago um, when we first met Saul. Do you remember how Saul was described when we first met him? Head and shoulders above everyone else in Israel. So, if you were having like a fight between the tallest people, surely you'd send out Saul, wouldn't you? Like, he's, he's, he's our tall guy. He's, he's our guy who's got the, the armor. He's, he's the one who's meant to be leading us and, and King Saul doesn't, but instead waits a month and a half before someone presents themselves. And so, so having courage isn't being cowardly, and it's not being confident in our own selves or whatever stuff we've got, but being courageous is being like David, who instead of looking at himself, he's looking to this God of heaven who rescues. His confidence isn't in himself, but it's in God's track record. He says in verse um, 37. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Like, that's where his confidence is. It's in God's track record. The fact that he's always rescued him. God has never let him down. God has always come through for him. And that's where he places his trust. That's where he's got his, his confidence. I know... Um, There have been times where I've been booking flights online and, you know, you're deciding between what flight to take and there's different factors that come in. You're like, oh, how long is this one going to take? How many stops? What's the price? And there have been times where, like, I'm, like, almost going to book but then, like, this worry rises up inside of me and I'm like, "Uh, what's the safety record of these (laughs) airlines? And so I, you know jump in and do a bit of research because like what am I doing there I'm like I'm I'm trusting a track record and I wonder if that's what God wants for you and for me for us to remember his track record when we face our our own Goliaths when we face something that feels threatening when we face something that is causing us worry that that makes us feel like we want to flee Maybe we don't have to try and muster up courage in ourselves. Maybe we don't have to, like, just believe in ourselves more or, like, go, okay, what sort of armor and weaponry do I have? And maybe we don't have to, have to shy away and run away and be cowardly, but instead we can remember that we've got this God who never fails, who loves to rescue His people, who loves to fight on behalf of His people. And instead of looking to ourselves, we can be like David and entrust ourselves instead to this God who saves, who rescues. God is the one with the perfect track record who never lets us down. And not only can we have courage because we've got this God who rescues, but we can have hope because God is a rescuing God. Because if we we just look at, like just with our human eyes, um, at, at the battle that unfolds, it's an impossible situation, isn't it? Because like this is an unarmed, um, like mostly unarmed teenage boy with no armor and no sword, um, no battle experience against this giant of a man who's decked out with all the latest weaponry and gear. And you just look at it and you're like, hmm, I wonder who's going to win here. That's that's an impossible situation. Just looking at it, um, but we heard last week. Remember that appearances can be deceiving. Remember how last week, when David was anointed as the coming king, the older brothers who looked like they were fit for the job, they were passed over, and David wasn't even in the lineup because appearances can be deceiving. We we received that that caution last week and we see it again play out this week that just to just to look at appearances we can get things wrong. Like maybe there's more than what just meets the eye. David said to Saul um to Goliath in verse 47. He says that oh, I'm going to like <laughs> like you're going to die and your army's going to die so that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear. God rescues, but in surprising and unexpected ways. And it seems like he, God operates in the impossible space. And David says, the battle doesn't even belong to you or I, the battle belongs to the Lord. It's funny because when we look at that battle with just our eyes, if we just take it at its appearance, it seems like it's a completely one-sided battle, doesn't it? But it's funny because it was a one-sided battle, but not in the way maybe we first imagined. It was a one-sided battle because Goliath never stood a chance. It was a one-sided battle because God was on the side of David. Appearances can be deceiving. I was reminded of that very fact a couple of weeks ago um, after I took Edith to her, um, Edith's my daughter if you're wondering, um, to swimming lessons on on Thursdays and we were, uh, we were getting dressed in the change rooms there um, and it's this big kind of echoey space and we're getting changed and this guy walks in um, to the other end of the change room and he's sporting a man bun and as clear and as loud as anything she's ever said in her whole life, she says, Daddy, what's this lady and, like, I just wanted to, like, die inside because, like, it just, like, echoed forever, it felt like, you know. Um, and then she just kept saying it again and again. And anyway, but I was reminded, like, you know, there's so much more going on. Like, she was focused on a hairstyle, right, but there's so much more going on than 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 what she perceived. Like, he was, like, obviously a, a bloke, um, you know. Like, he was in the men's change room. Like, he was... Um, and... There's just so much more happening than, than what she could see at the time. And, and that's a bit like you and I when, again, we've, we, we are confronted with a threatening situation or we are, are, are worried or we, um, about the future or we don't know how things are going to play out. We're asking the question of, like, how are things going to work out this time? Will I be okay? Will things be Okay. This is a reminder for us to not just judge things by the way that they look because we've got this God who operates in the impossible space who 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 saves and rescues in such unexpected impossible ways. And and so that means that when we are really pushed to the to the edge and praying things like God if you don't come through for me I'm ruined, this whole thing is ruined, or whatever it is, when we're pushed to that very edge, as painful and uncomfortable as it is, it's actually a beautiful spot to be, because we're forced into this complete dependence on God. You see, if if God didn't show up for David on that day, like he was ruined, like he didn't stand a chance, but God was with him. And so for you and I um, to throw ourselves on God and when we're in that spot, like, Lord, we're just ruined if you don't come through. It's actually a beautiful spot to be because it seems like from Scripture that that's where God loves to show up and and work in power when His people are so dependent on Him. And so, we can have hope in this God who rescues and we can take courage because we've got this rescuing God. And and lastly, we can trust in in Jesus because he is the rescuing God. Because if I'm honest with myself and you're honest with yourselves, if we just finish the message at that, like, okay, guys, like, let's go and take more courage and be more hopeful. Um, like, we're going to have a crack at it, but like, we're going to fail. We're not going to do that that perfectly um, unless something like really changes in inside us. Um, this pushes us to look to a perfect champion. It pushes us to look to a perfect king, a perfect leader. Um, you might remember that last week, um, David Strong, our, our pastor, he, he pointed out that in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is called the Son of David. That pops up again and again in there. So, all of this story, this whole like story of how God showed up and rescued his people the story of David, David's life, it was all to point towards how God would do his ultimate rescue, the greatest David, the ultimate David. So Jesus, just like David, was from the town of Bethlehem. David was a good shepherd. He didn't leave the sheep in the darkness. And in John chapter 10, when Jesus is doing his earthly ministry, Jesus says about himself, he says, I am the good shepherd. He's, he also doesn't leave his sheep, his followers in darkness, but is the light instead. And David, when he's talking to King Saul, he says, I, I have been willing to risk my life for the sake of the sheep. When the, when the bear and lion... Um, come to attack the sheep. I've been willing to, to risk my life, but when Jesus, the greater David, c- comes, He doesn't just risk His life for His sheep, but He willingly lays it down, The Greater, the greater David. And Jesus is the one who goes into battle for us, the ultimate example of representative battle. Jesus is the one who goes before us and fights the ultimate Goliath of sin and of death and if he is our ultimate champion who goes before us we share in his victory over that just like the israelites who then go go running after jesus is the one who instead of achieving victory for god's people by killing he does it by dying instead presumably David's bones are buried somewhere, I don't know, Um, but Jesus didn't stay dead. Jesus instead rose from death so that anyone who would trust in Him, anyone who would hope in Him, who would have Him as their champion, have Him as the one who goes into battle for them, would also have hope of a future resurrection life. And, And the more that those who trust in Jesus would give themselves to him, would, would place the hope of their life upon him. He, by his spirit, actually transforms us that we would have lives that look like Jesus, the greater David. So, so that is how more and more as we follow Jesus, as we obey, as we trust in him, where we transform from the inside out that we can actually begin to live this out, taking hope and courage in God. Jesus is the one who saves. So, if you are are here and you are a believer, this is a great reminder that Jesus has won the victory over sin and death for you. He's done that for you. And it's a reminder to also repent of the places where you still try to rescue yourself, where we're tempted to, to forget, that Jesus is the one who achieves victory. Where, where, where. It's it's a, an opportunity for us to reflect and and think about where it is that we're tempted to to lose hope and courage instead of trusting in God. And if you are here and you haven't yet trusted Jesus, you don't yet have Him as your champion who wins over sin and death. the The bad news is that. You are like a a teenager trying to take on a giant, and there's no way that you could possibly win. Not against this one. And what you need is a champion who is willing to take your place, and that's exactly what Jesus did in taking on sin and death head on by going to the cross. And He did that willingly for you, no matter who you are, where you've come from, what you've done. He is the champion who always wins.